0: Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. As you can tell, John's here. I'm Hillary Georgie, and I'm joined once again by my fellow editors, Nate Makaborski. Hello there. And John Schwartz. Hi. Currently, we're all working on stories for the May issue of the magazine, but rather than talk about those yet, today we're going to dive into the commemorative home run edition of Yankees Magazine, which is available all season long here at the stadium and online. Everyone digs a long ball, right? And over the years, the Yankees have hit some of the most memorable long balls in the history of the game. In this edition, we take a closer look at some of those home runs and at a few of the guys who hit them. Nate, you looked at... Mickey Mantle and his power in the World Series. John, you approach Babe Ruth from a whole new angle, which we'll dig into later this episode. We have a couple of first-hand accounts from Chris Chambliss and Aaron Boone, who each launched the Yankees into the World Series with unforgettable homers. But my favorite aspect of this edition, and you guys can agree with me or not, is our ranking of the top 10 home runs in Yankees history. There are literally thousands to choose from, so narrowing it down to the 10 best was always gonna be a challenge. And I know there was more than a few debates about what we thought should be number one. Nate actually handed out a ballot to all the editors to fill out, to get a feeling on what this was. So Nate, what do you think?
1: Yes, I was, I was the pollster. I came up with a list of a few dozen and everybody ranked them one to 10. And uh, there was certainly a lot of debate. We had a lot of conversations going back and forth. I mean, how do you, what constitutes a top home run? You can look at it from a number of different ways. Is it the biggest home run? Is it the one that's still talked about the most years later? Is it the one that is most ingrained in, you know, pop culture? And so there was a lot of debate just about what we were talking about when we said what are the top home runs in Yankees history for me you know my number one actually ended up coming in fourth in our list maybe I'm a bit biased because I was there as a fan to watch it Aaron Boone's home run in 2003 for me now we're tied at five as we go to the bottom of the 11th here is Aaron Boone to lead off
0: his first at bat of the game there's a fly ball deep to left it's on its way there it goes and the Yankees are going to the World Series
1: Unbelievable game. I mean, I, I can't imagine ever seeing a better game live. I just remember floating on air after that. I mean, the next day, like, I, it was one of those things where I got about two hours of sleep that night and I couldn't wait to get out of bed and just, you know, pinch myself and say, Did that really happen? And just anybody that you met throughout the day the next day you wanted to talk to about what had happened
0: that so at one point in the process that was number one on our list right and then it got bumped
1: yeah or
2: something um, else. you know john <laughs> and, made some good points <laughs> i was gonna say the funny thing for me is I, I i fought pretty hard for what ended up being number. and look i mean we're not kidding anyone here spoiler alert or whatever number one ended up being the called shot and it's a funny argument to make because i was arguing on behalf of something that obviously i didn't see and that the whole point of the home run is the debate surrounding the home run. I mean, otherwise it's just another home run in a world series that wasn't that exciting, but we're talking about this home run. And if you ask me, the reason it's number one is because in some ways it's such an insignificant thing, but it has dominated baseball pop culture since 1932. I think that if someone came to this planet and asked what a home run was, I think you'd be hard-pressed not to start with the interesting story of the call shot, so that was my argument for it being number one. I'm happy to have been convincing, I guess.
0: (laughs) Well, mine came in seventh, so whatever. (laughs) I like the 2001 home runs, the series of them in the World Series, Mr. November. Swung on a drill to right field, going back Sanders, on the track, at the wall, see ya, see ya, see ya! A home run by Derek Jeter! Oh, what a ball game. A game-winning walk-off home run by Derek Jeter. He is Mr. November. I was very young when it happened, and I still remember like, sitting there and watching it and being just in awe of everything that was going on, and I thought that was really cool. But I came in seven, so whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you know, I was in the Midwest for college when that was going on, and I just remember we're all sitting there and watching this stuff, and There are Yankees fans there. There are people who were definitely not Yankees fans there. But it was beyond the emotion of uh, 2001 and everything that had just happened. There was this just nonsense giggling of like, I can't believe this is happening again. I can't believe they're doing this.
0: It was an incredible series of events that took place that, that whole time.
2: Everything that started from really when, you know, President Bush threw the first pitch out in game three, you know, just the way games three, four, and five all went down in a sense. That, in some sense, even though the Yankees lost that series, you know, there are still such positive memories for Yankees and Yankees fans from those three games and what those three games here meant that, I mean, you might have pushed for it to be number one and it went number seven, but when you're talking about a pretty rich history of Yankees baseball, I'd say number seven. Number seven's not bad. That was another one
1: of the things that we kind of debated was, you know, how do you break those up? How do you rank... Tino's home run versus Brocious's. So we ended up kind of bunching them together. And you'll notice that the header at the top of this feature says top 10 home run performances in Yankees history. Yeah. Um, because the same thing at number six, right across the page, is October 18th, 1977, right. Reggie Jackson's three home runs in the World Series. I mean, what do you, how do you choose one of those? You right. don't. So you, you just kind of put it all in as one.
2: And obviously, we're talking about the 10 best in a really long history of home runs but you know it just makes you think even more that anytime you're watching something whether it's 2017 or if you're watching a highlight on yes or mlb network No one thought when Jim Lairitz stepped up to the plate for that at bat that it was going to be one of the most memorable moments in baseball history or Yankees history, but it can happen at any time. And I think that's a really, obviously it's a fun part about watching baseball, but it's a rich part about Yankees baseball in particular, because whether it's Gary Sanchez or Alex Rodriguez or Derek Jeter or Babe Ruth, everyone's being judged on a pretty high bar here. And that was the fun in putting together this list is how high that bar was. But also in seeing that it wasn't just you know sepia toned historic Cooperstown images that we were finding here. It was things that, as Nate said, in some cases we were even at that uh, got to be on this list.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: Should we go run down the list?
0: Yeah, definitely. Let's let's start number ten. Jim Layritz caps a six run comeback, October twenty third, nineteen ninety six.
2: We we look from 2017 perspective at 1996 as the beginning of this incredible run. Right,
0: the dynasty. That's when it started.
2: And you realize with that Laird's home run how close it was to never happening. I mean, you know, if they don't win that World Series, sure, you know, you still expect that the 1998 team could or could not have won. But the point is, everything in baseball is just so capricious that you can have this moment that's unforgettable and that just seems natural. Of course, the 1996 team won the World Series, but without that Laird's home run, that history probably doesn't happen
1: and at number nine we've got babe ruth christening yankee stadium you know when they were building yankee stadium in 1923 ruth had said to some reporters i would give a year off my life if i could hit a home run that first game and sure enough the stadium opens up on april 18th it's yankees red Sox, and the yankees end up winning four to one thanks to a babe ruth home run uh just perfect
2: kind of on the nose yeah
1: Yeah. i
0: guess he nailed that one (laughs) Number eight, we have Mickey Mantles, two home runs that almost left the stadium.
1: Yeah, this is one of those ones that is sort of those, you know, ingrained in the the, the pop culture, I guess you could say, because, you know, I can remember going to Yankee Stadium as a little kid, and obviously, you know, I'm younger, I didn't see Mantle play, but being there with people who had seen Mantle play, and sitting in Yankee Stadium, and then pointing to that top light stanchion or the the end of the freeze and saying, you know, that's where the ball hit. Uh, it's one of those stories that just gets passed down from generation to generation and kind of sums up what Mickey Mantle meant to a lot of people and how how much his his power was part of his story.
0: That's what I love about it, though. Like, you, you're never going to know for sure there wasn't video back then. Like, you, you can't look it up on YouTube and see, like, oh, look, there it goes. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's just lore at this point, and that's cool.
1: So we talked about Seven being the 2001 trio of home runs and Reggie's performance in the 77 World Series at number six. At number five... We have Chris Chambliss, of course, his home run against the Royals to send the Yanks to the 76 World Series.
0: Now that's a video you should watch on YouTube. That's yeah, for awesome. sure. Mark Littell delivers high drive. hits it right center field. That's gone. it is. go! Chris Chambliss
3: has won the American League pennant for the New York Yankees. A thrilling, dramatic game. What a way for the American League season to end.
1: Hillary, you had a chance to sit down with Chris, and you know, this is really what I think makes this whole magazine unique. And what I love about it is all the stories that we hear directly from the players who hit these home runs. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a first person story from Aaron Boone in here about his home run. We have, you know, our director of publications, Al Santa Siri, sat down with Derek Jeter for a full feature just on that Mr. November home run, that mm-hmm. one game for the two thousand one World Series. Al also went to Fenway Park with Bucky Dent and spoke to Bucky on the field at Fenway about his home run. So what was it like sitting down with Chris and and hearing him tell his story about this home run? I
0: mean, it was truly fascinating. It was such a cool story to hear from his mouth how— how intense it was and how excited he was to be part of history, to, to bring the Yankees back to the World Series. It was a really cool conversation.
2: Number four, Aaron Boone, we talked about. You can't have a bigger situation than that. Extra innings, game seven, ALCS. Against the Red Sox. Against the Red Sox.
1: Pedro against Clemens to start I was going to say, the whole
2: game, like, the drama of that moment really overshadows in a sense what was an incredible, incredible, incredible game up to that point.
0: Then at number three, we have Bucky's Blast. Sorry, is, Red Sox fans. the Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sorry, <laughs> but it, it is what it is.
1: Number two, also against Boston, sorry, mm-hmm. but 61, Maris's 61st home run to break Babe Ruth's single season record in 1961. Just the story. You know, and the, its place in lore and books have been written and movies have been made about this season and that hit. So,
2: and then obviously, number one, we have the called shot. And again, there's nothing that can be said about it that hasn't been said and said and said differently. And you know, for me, it'll always go back to the fact that the, the called shot is better as a mystery than it is as a defined home run. It's Mm -hmm. so much more fun to have the argument than to get it settled. It's a perfect moment in baseball history. It's a perfect example of the theater of baseball and sports.
1: And I think to your point, you know, if you look at all these home runs, you know, they, they all mean so much to Yankees fans. But 85 years later, the fact that so many people still know about this home run and still talk about it, and you know, new articles and books are still written about it I think this one, that sort of impact, I don't know that any other home run on this list will be able to say that 85 years after the fact.
0: Yeah, I guess you were right, John
2: I win (laughs) It was pretty fun, it's fun to flip through this, it looks great it's going to be available at the stadium the whole year and I really hope that people will check it out and
1: when you do, be sure to let us know what you think we'd love to hear your input, you can get at us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine or email us letters at yankees.com
0: coming up in the rest of this episode i interview pete gurgley a yankees productions producer who helps come up with those brilliant video spots featuring yankees players and then john and i discuss the challenges of writing about babe ruth and the home run commemorative issue and how john approached it in a unique way oddly the movie the Sandlot comes up a lot in both of those discussions so stick around for that it's gonna be fun When Pete Gurgley looks at Matt Holliday, he doesn't see a career 303 hitter or a former World Series champ. No, what Pete sees is a comedic genius.
3: Matt Holliday is the most imposing and intimidating figure when you see him in the clubhouse. He has a straight face. He's massive. But when you go up to him, he's very chill. He's very easygoing. He was hysterical.
0: As a senior producer for Yankees Productions, Pete and his team conceptualize, shoot, and edit video content that's put out on all of the Yankees' online platforms where attracting an audience gets more and more challenging every year.
3: It's a constant effort on keeping people compelled, getting them, first of all, drawn in in the first 10 to 20 seconds of a feature and keeping them watching throughout.
0: Pete and his crew have met the challenge head-on, though, and for the last few years have released an impressive mix of hilarious and more in-depth feature and short-form content that allows fans to see a new side of some of their favorite Yankees.
3: The goal is to have fans watch these spots and and learn something about a player's humor they didn't know before and in turn cheer for that player. So if he makes a mistake on the field, maybe they'll be less hard on him or they'll want to cheer for him more.
0: On a rainy day at the stadium, Pete and I sat up in the press box and chatted about a few of the many interesting experiences he's had in his career with the Yankees. Here's some of that conversation.
3: We produce production and post-production content to run on our platforms, including Yankees.com, Yankees YouTube, and then the Yankees social media channels.
0: What's a typical day like at the stadium for you?
3: Literally, it, it changes almost every single day, which is, I guess, what people... It's kind of what you want in life, right, for a job. In the off-season, it's a lot of prep and planning, a lot of travel. We visit players in the off-season in mm-hmm. their homes. We, we've gone abroad with players to New Zealand with Didi Gregorius and the DR... To visit our Latin players Puerto Rico etc but it's also planning for the season upcoming so we plan our funny promo spots. to plan our epic feel hype videos mm-hmm. in season it's a little different we're constantly either shooting a, a event happening around the stadium or in the community we're editing that piece it's all over the spectrum so we have in spring training our funny promo spots to our epic hype videos To dug out interviews of players, to our mini documentary series, which include our origin series, which will take a prospect back to his birth, and then find out how he became who he is today. Uh, Our behind the scenes series, which takes a player, it can be a story like we just finished a piece on Greg Bird's recovery. Mm -hmm. We interviewed him from right before the injury happened, and then through the whole process till just now. Milestones, uh, Holiday is approaching 2,000 hits in his career. When he gets that, the next day we'll put out a feature on his career. And we'll even show you know his hits from other teams, Cardinals and Oakland, wherever else he was. Because you know, he's a Yankee now, but he had time in the pros before that. So we want to kind of showcase his story too, including his 2000th hit. So.
0: What was the learning process like for that? Especially with the, the way the media is changing mm-hmm. now. You want to be viral and you want to be short and you want to be quick.
3: It's a great question. Um, in 2009, back then we were doing maybe three or four features a, a week. We were doing 10 to 12 now of one, two, three-minute features, four-minute features, because social media, um, the attention span is very short. Right. And most of our content, our bread and butter, is on social media. And, and it's a constant effort on keeping people compelled, getting them, first of all, brought, drawn in in the first 10, 20 seconds of a feature and keeping them watching throughout. We've had Facebook reports and Twitter analytic reports where you see that you'll have 20,000 views on a, a piece, but only 2,000 of those people watched all the way through. So that's a constant effort trying to make really interesting content that keeps people's attention, especially in the, the new social media world.
0: In that sense, you guys, over the past few years, have been putting out really incredible, funny, funny things. You did a, a play on the Sandlot, and then recently you just did The Hangover. I know you did Step Brothers last year. Where do you guys come up with these ideas?
3: So that was a dream of ours going all the way back to 2011-12, once we got comfortable producing short-form content. Knowing we had a new crop of players that a lot of fans didn't know, we wanted to market the team in a fun Wait, the Sandlot was our first go around and we got seven of the top players and that exploded that day. So I'll never forget that same day we released it. It was on SportsCenter that night. It was on MLB Network, social media, all of the all of the cha- maps. So then we had to up the ante the next year and now we try to do a movie scene recreation every single year and then 3 to 4 additional original spots just promoting the players. This year we did a bird watching spot where Brett Gardner bird watched Greg Bird and he was really annoyed. It was so at, funny. Thanks like, so <laughs> What happens is we'll again in the off season we'll get together we'll start brainstorming goofy funny ideas and we come up with ideas watching Sports Center commercials and and we try to follow their lead in simple goofy funny spots. The goal is to have fans watch these spots and and learn something about a player's humor they didn't know before and in turn cheer for that player. So if he makes a mistake on the field maybe they'll be less hard on him or they'll want to cheer for him more.
0: What was the process like of getting these guys out of their comfort zone, which is baseball and just sports, into this kind of new atmosphere of of being on camera in a different way.
3: (laughs) It's sometimes challenging. It's less challenging for the younger guys because they've grown up with social media. They understand the value of marketing yourself through social media. And we're kind of lucky because we do a prospect watch series during the season where we travel to our affiliates, Charleston, Tampa, Trenton, Scranton. So we get to know these guys when they're first drafted, when they're 18, when they're 19 years old, just talking to them through the process. So they know us when they get up here or they get close. And that goes a long way when you're trying to get them to do a goofy spot. In Greg's case, he's all been all about it. Last year, we ca- we casted him in a baby bomber spot where they were playing with toys uh-huh. in the room, the baby bombers. So when he got hurt, I texted him saying, oh, man, you're going to miss out on the best promo we've ever had. And he was actually legitimately upset about missing out on being <laughs> um, being in that spot. We have guys that are so into it. We have guys we have to convince a little bit. But really, when they, when they get on set and they start shooting, they always have fun and it and it makes him come back for more the next year, and we're lucky for that.
0: Who have you been surprised at is who's really taken to it?
3: That's easy, Matt Holliday. <laughs> Matt Holliday is the most imposing, intimidating figure when you see him in the clubhouse. He has a straight face, he's massive, but when you go up to him, he's very chill, he's very easygoing, and when he plays up Galvanakis' role in the hangover spot, he was hysterical, very dry humor, it's but so- the outtakes are out, and if you take a look at the outtakes, you'll see that he's all in with the spots.
0: What has been, I guess, one of the benefits of traveling all over, the, all over the world, really, with these players?
3: I've been so fortunate and so blessed to, to be able to travel with my job and basically see these places in the world and country for, for work purposes. And they're hard work when you're traveling. You're, you're carrying camera equipment. You're trying to map out how you're going to put a piece together when you're on these shoots because you don't want to travel and have the piece subpar. Mm-hmm. You want to do it justice. So I, just that. I mean, seeing the world and seeing it with uh, the players, and usually when you're off-site with them, you get to know them personally uh, on, a, on a more intense level and that helps you when you're working with them during the season but really just the whole package i mean everyone i think it's pretty universal that people love seeing the world and traveling and countries. so i i just feel really blessed I, there's that movie almost famous where there's a kid that followed around i forgot what band it was sometimes i feel like that's my life i get to be a part of this process and be this close to a team and a team that i grew up watching so for me it's it's really been a dream and i very fortunate to do it to do what i do
0: you've been doing this since 2009 is there one story that still sticks out to you as something you're the most proud of or you, you've loved doing the most
3: from a fun standpoint the world series year in 09 my first year with the yankees was pretty awesome i mean being in the clubhouse with a video camera for the champagne celebrations is is one of the chaotic fun things you can experience champagne dusting your eyes very badly but <laughs> it was awesome but from uh professional standpoint that I'm proud of is uh when when Derek Jeter retired we made a video called thank you captain and we featured New Yorkers from all over the city that was great Um, we just went around the city for three straight days and got all walks of life Red Sox fans Mets fans firefighters cops um we got a priest on the street and they all just said wonderful things about Derek and it became this I think it spoke for Jeter and it spoke for New York going back a few years we were starting to think about how are we going to honor Jeter when he retires and that was the idea we came up with. And I think it translated well and, and watching the fans, I never heard a quieter stadium in my life when that video was playing. Mm-hmm. And seeing the reaction in Jeter's face during it, it was it was pretty emotional. So I think that's probably not just the Yankees, but that's probably the proudest project I had a part in creating. <laughs>
0: Putting out a commemorative home run issue of Yankees magazine and not mentioning Babe Ruth is pretty much inconceivable. But how do you cover the Sultan of Swat in a new and interesting way? John, you had to answer that question, and in my opinion, you did so pretty uniquely. You open your story with a quote from what I'm sure everyone can agree is a classic American film, The Sandlot. What made you want to utilize that movie and other pop culture references like Beyonce and Bruce Springsteen to help you tell the story of Babe Ruth?
2: the funny thing is it was totally legitimately honestly organic i approach this story and like you said you do a home run issue of yankees magazine babe ruth's gonna factor and pretty I,
0: largely i yeah, would assume he,
2: he, he's, he plays a role yeah <laughs> um But, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And a lot of times you go down to the clubhouse and you're trying to get the quote that you know you need for a story. And in this case, I really honestly was going up to guys around the clubhouse trying to get their perspective. And the first three guys I asked, all three of them said the Sandlot. And I was kind of laughing, but that made me think, why is it that the New York Yankees players – go to the same fictional story that the rest of us might when they're talking about this guy? And is that because the fiction makes more sense than the reality?
0: And what were you expecting?
2: Yeah, you know, the the two things I was obviously expecting were seven fourteen and the called shot. And obviously, look, I mean, you're talking about the Sandlot. You're also kind of talking about the called shot. It's one and the same. But I really thought we were going to talk about actual things. (laughs) And we just weren't. We started all three guys... It was just the sandlot right away but i think the question i literally posed to them is what is your first encounter you remember with babe ruth that has lasted with you as far as how you understand him Mm -hmm. and i promise the three of them the answer was the sandlot that's pretty awesome
0: one of the things i think you did really well in this story is help make this almost mythological figure appear more human which you did by talking about your trip to the babe ruth birthplace and museum in Baltimore. You're a baseball fan in general. What were your thoughts about Ruth prior to going to the museum? And how did you, the museum change or alter your perception of the man?
2: It's funny. I, I think this is one in the same with the example I just gave about the Sandlot. I went there trying to understand him as a human being. And the funny thing is, seeing him as a human being, I feel, makes it harder to understand him as Babe Ruth. Because Babe Ruth is not supposed to have... His Bible, or his rosary, or his books.
0: Right, you go to a Babe Ruth museum, and I would expect to see like baseball bats and and jerseys and stuff like that.
2: And those person. are there, and and that's a that's a key part of it for sure. But that's what you. you... That's the part of Babe Ruth you understand. You mm-hmm. don't understand this idea of this bed where he was born because if you look at the bed where Babe Ruth was born, then you need to deal with the fact that Babe Ruth was born. That Babe Ruth wasn't just you know, some mythical beast who came down and hit home runs in a way that no one before him had ever done before. He literally changed the game of baseball And you see these things, and I'm being very careful here because I don't want to say anything negative about the museum. Quite the opposite. I thought the museum was amazing, but it was almost diminishing Babe Ruth, in my opinion, as I was trying to understand him to see these things. It was just so human, but you never think of Babe Ruth as human, and it was disorienting.
0: And in the same vein, he's a mythological figure. He's talked about in Legend. How do you feel about the tendency to turn ordinary men ordinary women, ordinary people into heroes?
2: It's a really hard question to answer because, you know, I could write 15,000 words about the guy, I could write 100,000 words about the guy, and I'm not sure I would get to what the answer was. I think the first thing to really understand is the different standards we had for sainthood and heroism back then that we do today. I don't know that Babe Ruth could have existed in an era with Twitter. It's, it's really easy to see how either he would have been different or the world would have reacted to him differently. We have these amusing and kind of fun and quirky thoughts about Babe Ruth. You know, the gluttony, the the supercharged id that took over his life in a sense. But Babe Ruth wasn't a bad guy. I mean, he wasn't. No. I think Babe Ruth would be more careful in 2017 than he was in 1930. That's fair. And, and, and I don't know if that's for better or worse necessarily. I mention in the story, I, I don't know if it was... 20 years ago or whatever when there was the Charles Barkley ad just because I can dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids and that was like a crazy thought for some reason I people thought that maybe because he could dunk a basketball he should raise your kids and he should be a role model and I think we're way more comfortable today with the idea that that these people can be compartmentalized as athletes the quote from the movie is heroes get remembered but legends never die and I think with Babe Ruth it is the legend and I mean that in Both senses of the word—not just him as a legend, but him as a story—the legend of Babe Ruth. It would be so easy to just talk about Babe Ruth because of what he did on the field, and the stories are amazing. I mean, the things he did that aren't even spoken about regularly. You know, he's just a really interesting baseball player in general, and so different, I think, than what we think of as just you know this big fat guy eating hot dogs and hitting home runs. I mean, he he could run. He—he was a great pitcher, obviously. But for some reason, it's easier for us to think about him hitting three home runs for a little Johnny Baseball and pointing to the center field bleachers in Wrigley Field and hitting the ball over it. It's better to just talk about it that way as opposed to, we know for a fact he hit 714 home runs, but that's somehow lesser.
0: I don't know if people today still get labeled or remembered in the same way that a Babe Ruth is. Do you think that a guy like LeBron James or somebody like Michael Jordan or, or another great sports legend is going to be talked about in 100 years the way that Babe Ruth is still talked about today?
2: Well, I think I don't know if this is exactly going to answer your question, but I think the LeBron Jordan question is an interesting one. You know, Michael Jordan was the most carefully constructed human being in the world, whereas, you know, LeBron James, who has similar success on the basketball court and similar esteem on the basketball court has decided to become a public figure and to to take these stances. I wonder if Babe Ruth were alive in 2017, would he be a guy who said, just threw up his hands and said, hey man, I'm just a baseball player, I hit the ball over the fence, or would he be taking stances and saying, I'm the most famous person in the world, and this is what's important to me, and I'm going to do this stuff. It's strange to me how crazy the myth gets when there's enough real with Babe Ruth that can speak for itself why do we have to talk about Babe Ruth as an orphan Babe Ruth wasn't an orphan Babe Ruth was yeah he was at a boarding school but his mother and his sister would come watch him every Sunday he was a known figure then but is it ignorance or is it comfort that we talk about him as an orphan
0: or is it you know how legends grow and grow and grow. Is it just something that got bigger and bigger? People said one thing and then the, the the tale got larger. If you had to pick an equivalent of Ruth today in terms of someone whose influence reaches beyond just their profession, who would you choose? In the story, some of the researchers you talk to, and they reach for names like Elvis or JFK. So who's somebody you think of in, in this kind of vein?
2: I think that I have two answers that I think work. One of them is George Clooney. So the George Clooney answer, George Clooney is obviously an exceptional actor. George Clooney, Clooney could be famous for being a great actor. George Clooney is exceptionally good-looking. George Clooney could be very famous for being exceptionally good-looking in today's culture. I support that. George Clooney, you know, depending on your political stance maybe, although I think this is more just general ideas of goodness, George Clooney seems to stand for the right things.
0: He's an activist, yeah. He's an, yeah,
2: he's an activist for things that are important to a lot of people. He is also regarded as one of the most beloved like friends of every actor and celebrity. Everyone loves him. He's apparently the biggest prankster. Any one of these individual things, George Clooney could be hugely famous for, but you get the whole package, and all of a sudden he, some is greater than the whole of its parts, if you will, to go to cliche. I think the other example, though, that's a little bit better, in my opinion, is Oprah. I think, again, a lot of the same characteristics as Clooney. She, you know, so many of her individual endeavors have been hugely successful, but they just don't, possibly come close to adding up to the bigger picture of oprah who lords over popular culture
0: yeah i think you think of oprah in the same way like she's not a human she's just oprah she just is yeah
2: and everything she has her hands on everything and i don't think anyone has a bad opinion of oprah i mean how could you i don't know what yeah i I don't (laughs) even know what it would be i wish there was a way to know what it was like to be into this stuff when Babe Ruth was playing. I wish I could understand what that was like. I'm a little uh, late to that party. But I I wonder how different it was. I wonder how he was understood then in ways that we couldn't possibly understand him now. You know, you think of the famous story of him getting caught stealing to end a World Series. Mm-hmm i'm not sure a player today would live that down or maybe he would maybe if you're babe ruth you can get away with that but it's just such a crazy idea to think of the world series
0: mike trout come back from that
2: yeah (laughs) and does that not become the first sentence of your obituary Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know the guy he's the guy who got caught stealing to end the world series like no is that is that even in the obit (laughs) i don't know i don't know how it would be to be watching that in real time but i think it would be fascinating
0: I really enjoyed reading it, and I enjoyed your in-depth analysis of Babe Ruth.
2: You, that's why I'm here.
0: <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks, Hillary. We have a special Derek Jeter section going in the May issue, correct?
1: We do. May 14th is going to be a huge day at Yankee Stadium. We're going to retire Derek's number two, another well-deserved honor, and uh, we've got some special stuff planned. Derek is, I guess I can reveal it here, Derek is going to be on the cover of the May issue of Yankees Magazine, which is a... Very exciting. Yeah, not something we do often for somebody who's not currently on the team, but uh, we thought that the captain warranted this. We'll also have a special cover just for that day. And inside, you'll find some really interesting stories about Derek.
0: Don, what are you working on for May?
2: Actually, uh, I've been having a lot of fun going back through the history of the Negro Leagues. It's a interesting history. Because when you start the project, it's very sobering and it's very difficult to kind of go back to this obviously horrendous time in our history. And yet, and this is the point that I'm really finding taking over my story in a lot of ways, there's so much joy. You're hearing about what they did and who they were and what they got to do. But this whole idea of they never thought about the fact that whether they want to be playing in the major leagues or not, what they wanted to do was show they were better than the major leaguers. And it's just an amazing story of passion and love. And, and look, at the bottom of it, there's bad stuff. And it's, not, it's a dark time. But at the same time, the stories that I'm learning about, the stories that I'm going to be telling in this are really just joyful and fun and exciting. And I can't wait to finish it.
0: I'm really looking forward to it. And then I have a, a pretty cool story where I'm testing out all the new food options at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. It has been very satisfying. Let's just put La- it that labor way.
2: Labor of love, I mean. it, <laughs> honestly.
0: It's some somebody's got to do it, and yeah. I, I bit that bullet for the team.
2: What's the best, What's the best thing fans should be ready for?
0: Oh my God! Um, there are Yankees dingers in the bleachers, which is like basically how it was described to me is an ode to a white castle burger (laughs) so i I don't know that that kind of sold me so (laughs) look for that i'm excited to write it and my stomach is excited as well (laughs) thanks so much for listening everybody don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast check us out online subscribe to the magazine or pick up the magazine when you're at the stadium yankees.com slash magazine for long form content yankees.com slash publications for all of our publications content and tweet at us we'd love to hear from you at yanks magazine see you soon thanks